Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories, our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. Welcome to season two of the Earth Sea Love podcast. And it's so good to be back here with you. Um, it's been a few months. Well, we finished season one in 2020 and we needed a little break. But um, we have been working behind the scenes. We have been having some really good conversations with women of colour around the world. And it is my pleasure as your host, Cherie Mack, to bring these new episodes to your ears wherever you are. So this conversation with Jackie Holder had to be cut in half because we did talk a little bit about a few things um trees tree wisdom how we can be with nature within nature be part of nature and be healed by her and how she asks really nothing of us in return so with Jackie in this episode, um, Jackie Holder, such a wise, wise woman who I'm not going to give her titles or labels because as you listen, she's not keen on them. But we do touch upon what she does within her life. But she journals, she shares her love of journaling um, across many groups and people within the community 
and she has a deep relationship with trees every day Jackie is out there walking um, and I thank her for doing that because as you'll hear in this two-part podcast episode that's coming your way she walks to claim space claim space for herself and other black women so I do thank Jackie and I do thank her for inspiring me to want to expand more to want to claim space more and definitely to get to the page more there's a lovely quote in here um, that Jackie mentions and it's the idea that journaling is is almost like a, a space a room that you can call your own and so much needed during these times as we still find ourselves under the heavy weight of the pandemic so anyhow enough enough chat from me um you'll hear from me again probably at the beginning of the second part two of this um extended episode with jackie holder but hey it doesn't disappoint so please Join us and listen to the words coming from Jackie Holder in the second season of the Earthsea Love Podcast. Thanks for being here. Your presence is appreciated. First of all, Jackie, I'd like to say thank you. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to come on the Earth Sea Love podcast. I've been so looking forward to connecting with you because um, I've seen your posts on Instagram and that's how I first, well, that's how I first became conscious of you. But then again, I knew your name and connected to some books. So we'll get to that later. But it was on Instagram through Anna, Anna B. Sexton. She says, you must check out, check out Jackie. She's right up your street. She's a black woman and she's into nature. So welcome, welcome, welcome. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Sorry, I'm not even letting you get a word in Edgewood. How we do to start off is, is that I like to ground us. So I'd love to know where you are in the world what mm -hmm. you can see outside your window can you see some nature what's the season please Jackie talk to me well I I think this is a great question to start with because I live in South London and I live in the very last road in South London before it tips over into Surrey really so I, yes I think this is fascinating yeah. So I live in South Norwood and the next road to me becomes Surrey, Thornton Heath. Oh so God. I actually live on the last road in South London. Norwood, I grew up in West Norwood, which is about 15 minutes down the road or maybe 10 minutes. And it's all part of what was known as a Great Northwood, mm -hmm. which covered this area of South London. 
I grew up at primary school pouring over the books in the library, you know, just seeing all the farmland, all the woods that once covered this region of South London. And I think it's so ironic that our family home was in West Norwood for 40 years. Mm. And I, I, I have been living here in South Norwood for five years. And it's so interesting to see where you kind of begin and where you end up. Mm. Yeah. So if I look out my window, I have a rescue apple tree in my front garden that somebody threw out and a gardener bought it and planted it in my garden and it bears the most abundant crop of apples every year apart from one year and I also have a beautiful wavy lime green olive tree that just does her thing in the front garden mm. and I have lots of plants I became a bit of a, a, um, a plant addict as many people did during lockdown um, I'm even though I love nature, Sherry, mm -hmm. I kill plants. Oh. <laughs> Jackie, you're a woman after my own heart. I do the same. Oh, I kill them. I do. I the kill same. them. Do you know well, how? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Since lockdown and having to work from home, I paid more attention to my plants mm -hmm. and I could see what was going on. You don't just water a plant. You've got to see the texture of the plant. You've got to watch the soil. You've got some plants like the soil to be really dry. Some like it to be moist. Mm -hmm. I used to overwater my plants. I used to kill them by overwatering them. I did. Yeah. I thought I was caring for them. I'm giving you yeah. babies. Come on. <laughs> but I was. Yeah. We were, we were, were saturating them with water yeah. when they didn't need it. They're very hardy. Mm -hmm. um, some plants don't like to be near the window and too much light. Your space has to be well ventilated. Aren't these metaphors for life? Oh, yeah. Gosh, Jackie, I could sit and listen to you forever. Keep going. These are metaphors for life, aren't they? They, they are totally. Because, you know, some plants like just a dusting of water on their leaves. Absolutely. A little bit Absolutely. of stress, you know? <laughs> So uh, more, more plants have survived with me than have died, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I get quite sort of emotional when one topples over. Like I take it quite personal. Like, why did you just go and die on me? Yeah, I do too. Because we, we make that connection. You know, I was yeah. going around naming them all. And then when they died, it was, it was a loss. So I've stopped naming them, but they are named, they are individuals. <laughs> but I think that's the, that's the wonderful thing. I think that when we start to name our plants, mm. it shows the intimacy and the care that has been created mm. with the plants mm. because a plant becomes more than just an object. They give to us being in our space, they purify the air. They, you know, they, they bring life and vibrancy. They represent life inside of your home. You know, I think for a lot of people who weren't able to, who don't have a front garden or a back garden. I mean, my, both my front garden and front garden, sorry, they're really small. Mm -hmm. But I cherish the postage stamps that I have that are, you know, my back garden and my front garden. Because it is what you make of it. It's what you put into it. 
before I lived in this house um, or this home, I should say, I lived in East Dulwich where I had a massive garden that looked across. You could see where I was in East Dulwich, if you know London, mm. right across to Wembley. You know, that was the view that we had from the bottom of the garden. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a, a, an extravagant view across the, the London skyline. But I hardly ever did any gardening in that garden. Mm -hmm. There was something about the garden. It was massive. It was on three levels. And I never created an intimacy with that garden in the way that I have in this little home that I have now. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show that home is where you make it it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be extravagant mm -hmm. it is it is how you care for your home it's what you bring into your home it's how you tend to your home so much like how we tend to the land yeah yeah. There are so many parallels between them. I love what Tina Welling says. She said, nature is our first mother, mm -hmm. our first love, mm -hmm. our first leader in the lessons of life and the lessons of death. Yeah. And to me, you know, this, the triple pandemic, as we are now calling it, because it's not just COVID-19, it's Black Lives Matter. It's the economic downturn in, um, in, in the world you know, we are faced with a triple pandemic. You know, I've lost really, really close friends during this pandemic. That The sorrow I feel, you know, thank goodness for being able to put my palm against a, a strong, solid oak tree and give the oak my sorrow mm. because that's how deep it has resonated. And I know for so many, this has been their story and nature has truly been a resource to human beings globally, asking not much of us. Not at all, not at all. And that's, I mean, oh my gosh, this is just the first question and you've touched on so many different things here. There is this thing about having that reciprocal relationship with nature, yeah. And I must say up until a certain time frame I was just going to nature to lose myself to take from her in a sense mm -hmm. without having giving without giving something back and some days my giving something back might be just saying thank you thank mm -hmm. you for allowing me to be with you today mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um and but there's a lot of people that do not have this relationship this this idea of some give and take and I think that not just shows up in their relationship with nature but shows up with how they relate with others in society in their work in their job so just thinking about your your work your job your day-to-day -day, within you know your titles you've got coach author pre-enthusiast and a cultural memorist these these, I mean, these are rich, rich roles or rich ways that you move throughout your day. How does your day look? I mean, what are each one of these and how do they feed into your day-to-day -day living, running your life? That's a really good question. And um, I really don't like titles and roles <laughs> because I, I feel that they don't fully say who we are, but 
the world that we live in, in terms of social media, likes to have some kind of, you know, a strap line, a bar line, you know, bite size, you know, something that demonstrates your brand or your signature. But um, the reality is I'm a human being having, an, a, you know, a spiritual being having a human experience, a human being having a spiritual experience, trying to find my way in life. You know, I'm a woman of, in her 50s um, and I feel like life is just beginning, to be honest. I feel more comfortable in my skin than I ever, ever have had. And it's taken me all of these years to to really come home to myself in the way that I feel that I am right now. Um, and so what that has me meant for me, Sherry, is that I like to bring the true essence of who I am. I don't try and pretend, you know, I don't cut, you know, I, I, if you look at me, my hair's never neat because I'm, you know, I've just never, you know, that you, for a woman who walks a lot, who's always got the wind blowing in her face, you know, to me, it is better I show up as I am than try and make myself be this polished looking kind of human being. Don't get me wrong, you know, I love my clothes and I love to, you know, I love to, to kind of dress up, but um, it's about being as natural as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I call myself a tree enthusiast and a cultural memorist is because I love walking. Mm. I get to know the spaces that I live in and I inhabit. I can tell places by the trees. I can tell stories through the trees, in neighborhoods, in parks, on street corners, in back gardens. I can spot a monkey puzzle in someone's back garden and think, oh my God, how the hell did that seed of that monkey puzzle tree get into that garden? What's the story of that tree? How, you know, trees are as diverse as the populations and communities that, you know, inhabit the whole of the United Kingdom. And I think that is fascinating in terms of the diversity of trees. And trees tell stories. The seed of a tree carries a story. Someone or a bird planted that seed. That bird has a story. That person has a story. Tr seeds travel from countries far and wide. So I'm always hungry for and curious about, you know, what the trees tell us about place. You know, why is it that I can go to back, you know, I'm a London girl, so I talk a lot about London. If I think of places like Battersea, Chelsea, Clapham, where I walk a lot, I was born in Clapham, so I have a deep resonance with Clapham. I remember being a baby in the pushchair and I remember the streets of Clapham. So when I walk or run through Clapham, it, it's almost like I get a vibrancy about the place because it's very deeply seeped, seeped, seeped in, my, in my bones. But I can tell you that um, when I think about um, Battersea and I think about Chelsea and, and going that direction, it's plane trees that dominate. They are that they are the signature of that part of South London. When you come to my part of South London, it's oak trees that are very, very prominent in this area, as I said earlier, because of the Great North Wood. So I had this sort of visual sense and felt sense for what the trees tell me about the land. 
what the trees tell me about place, what the trees tell me about people. Oh, yeah. You, you, I've meant, I've read somewhere that you got a tree mentor or that you named a tree, um, sanctuary tree. And I, I, I'm interested in this. What is a tree mentor? But also how did you get into trees and having this close connection with trees? Is this from your childhood? Well, that's a really good question. And I, I'm writing a book or I've, I've written it um, about my love of trees. At the moment, it's called The Girl Who Loved Trees. We may, I'm talking with my editor, and we may change the title of that. But I think it very much sums up what the book is all about. And one of my very first memories of being aware of trees was when I was about, I think I was five. I was very, very little. And my mum packed us off with a, a packed lunch and with my two older brothers and sent us off to the park. It was summer holidays. And I remember I had my doll in my hand and my older brothers met up with other children from the area and a whole gang of us walked up to the park. But I was little, so I was, I was a little bit slow, sort of, you know, holding up my brothers as they were running ahead and everything. By the time we got to the park, as soon as we got through the park gates, my brothers scarpered and they left me within eyesight. And I literally remember playing under these huge towering trees and I remember looking up at these trees and feeling small and insignificant amongst these giants. And it was almost like a, a transpersonal moment where you feel at one with the universe. I just have this really strong memory of being amongst the trees and that stayed with me. And then growing up, we lived, um, behind our house literally we could slip through a gap in the back of the garden and two minutes we were in huge fields there was um, a Jewish orphanage that was housed behind the houses that we lived in and it had massive open um, playing fields and small coppices and woods around it and when that so that house was sold it was empty for many years so the children in the neighborhood well, we did, we had direct access into the playing fields, the tennis courts, the woods. So I would, the whole of the summer holidays, I would just run, you know, just be allowed to just go and wander in there. And I think that really um, in, in, engineered sort of like a deep love and reverence for nature. But my real connection with trees kind of came in my late twenties. I went to university and everything with nature disappeared. I mean, I, I went to university in Birmingham. I lived on the road that Hansworth Park was on. I think I literally put my nose through the park gate one day and put my nose back out again. It was of no interest to me whatsoever. So somehow it's almost like my appreciation of nature shut down as you know, you go through the sort of intellectual world, the academic world, which really did not suit my spirit, mm. but nonetheless, that's where I was. Anyway, coming out of that, it was in my late twenties. Um, I tell this story um, in my book. 
because it's kind of the signature story. I met a friend for lunch. It was a Friday afternoon. We we're having fantastic weather in um, London, one of those heat waves. And my friend said to me, meet me in Brixton. We'll meet in this park called Max Roach Park and we'll have lunch there and we'll just catch up. So that's what we did. And it was so hot. We sat out on the grass under the sun, first of all. It was so hot. We ended up sitting under a tree and we took shelter in the shade under this tree, had a good old catch up. And when we were leaving, as we were packing up my bag, I noticed a little plaque to the side of the tree. Being curious, really, you know, of course, Jackie has to go and investigate the plaque. And the plaque said, this tree is an elder tree. And in the, in the Middle Ages, it was reported that witches turned into elder trees to escape persecution. Now, for me, I loved history at school. I love stories. I fascinated. So I wrote it down on a piece of paper, took it home with me. Now, around the same time, Sherry, it's I don't know if you, you we've all we all go through different seasons in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At that point in yeah, at, at that point in my life, I was looking to change my name to an African name. And um, an African elder had wisely told me in quite a stern way, you need to have your name given to you. <laughs> I was like, oh God. You know, I was hoping to change my name overnight, but, you know, it basically was saying to me, this is a process and a ritual and a ceremony. You don't just go grab up any name. Mm. So I kind of stalled on it. And at the same time I was going through, I was working with this spiritual teacher. And one day she said to me, your name holder means that you hold on to things. And it, it wasn't said in the, the most positive way. I was really pissed off. I was like, <laughs> hold a hold on to things. Do you know what I mean? I did have a lot going on, but you know, she was obviously trying to make a point. And because I'm a girl, uh, 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 I was born in the 60s, there are so many Jackies. Everyone knows a Jackie. Mm -hmm. So I was quite determined to let go of the name Jackie. And then because of what this spiritual teacher said, I wanted to let go of the name Holder. But as you know, things like a seed, like the acorn of the oak, things take time to seed and grow. And that's what happened with that little note that I had on my desk about the elder tree, because it sat on my desk for about a year. And then I was writing my first book, Sole Purpose. And this, writing down this inscription about the elder tree, I just became more observant of trees. I started to notice them more. I started to pay a little bit more attention to them. I remember buying a book called Tree Wisdom, which is a wonderful book about the myths, legends, and stories of trees. I devoured that and I was like, oh, I like trees. Um, and I was running these workshops called Face to Face for Black Women. They were like empowerment, personal development workshops. And central to every work workshop, we would um, do the Saturday morning underneath a canopy of a tree where we would do this whole ritual and ceremony about introducing ourselves to each other but before thanking those who had gone before us in terms of our ancestors so we would ceremoniously pour a libation onto the earth as a way of saying thank you to the earth 
And I would find that we would spend like two, three hours the whole morning just under this tree, you know, just in just in this place of connection and communion and we would lose track of time. Mm -hmm. So it was very clear that trees were becoming quite pivotal in my life. But the long and short of it was, as I was finishing my book, Soul Purpose, I used to go to Dulwich Library and work in the library on my book. And I would sit in the same seat at the same table every time. Well, one day I turned up at the library at a different time than my usual time and my seat and chair had gone. I was very discombobulated. I was not, you know, it's like someone's in my seat, they've got my table. <laughs> like, what am I gonna do now? So anyway, I went and sat on another table, got on with stuff. Anyway, I took a, decided to take a break and instead of getting up and going outside, I just turned around and there was bookshelves behind me. And on the bookshelf, I just sort of started nosing around and there was a book of names. Now, when I um, first pulled the book off the shelf, I thought it was a book of um, Christian names. So I was going to open up the book and look up the name, the meaning of the name Jackie. But when I opened it, it said, this is a book of surnames. And I was about to put it back and I thought, oh, no, let me have a look. Let me see what's in there. So I opened it up and I thought, ah, the name Holder will never be in this book. Anyway, I leafed through it, leafed through the H's, got to Holden and there underneath was Holder. And I thought, oh, Holder's in there. Great. <laughs> and when I read it, this is what it said. The name Holder belongs to people who live near elder trees. Boom, on oh, my life. <laughs> Goosebumps. <laughs> Goosebumps. I sat there like, what the, what? That was a story that you could not rush. No. I had to wait for that story to come and find me. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, I can't, I, was it, um, I'm just trying to remember who said, you cannot rush nature. It, something around, let's see if I've, I've got it. Nature does not hurry, hurry, but everything is accomplished. Yeah, I just picked that out just the other day to support me in, my word of the year, which is slow, and how to be slow within society, within life, isn't isn't looked upon as as something positive. You know, it's either seen as lazy or not producing, not going at a pace so you can achieve things. And I turn to nature for her wisdom to support me in my path moving forward and that whole story of your relationship with trees and how it started and how it developed is nature teaching you in part in her wisdom at the times that you are ready to be open to receive that message mm -hmm. yeah that we couldn't have rushed any of that nah 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 I mean, that is so beautiful to see that you've written this book as well. The girl who loves trees or who's in love with yeah. 
um, a creative nonfiction book? Is this a memoir? Creative nonfiction. Yeah. Um, Is it creative nonfiction? Yeah. Through which I tell the story of trees. I, I, I think that um, I have really not wanted to write another memoir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mainly because um, so many of the people that I write about are still alive and I just don't feel ready to write my story, my, my perspective on my experiences. But the trees just won't stop telling me stories. Uh, and how, oh. let's talk about this because there's, there might be people that are listening and think, right, how does the trees talk to her? I mean, how mm-hmm. is listening to trees and telling their stories you know what is this you know so what is that process that you go through because it is a process to coming to that community of trees and be present and be present enough with them to actually hear them how does that happen what does that mean well I can tell I can illustrate it with telling you um, about the story of my mentor tree which you'd asked me about Sanctuary. Um, so I met Sanctuary in 1999. I was probably on my way deep into a depression but still managing to keep myself afloat you know, still working, still doing the stuff that you do. Um, And one day I was lying on my sofa and and to be honest, I was lying on my sofa quite a lot. Um, And uh, I I was lying there and I thought, Jax, you've got to get up, you know, you've got to get up and you've got to move your body. You know, it's like the wisdom just seeping through you. And what, um, what I told myself that morning was, it wasn't a morning, it was an afternoon actually go get your trainers, put some running gear on, and I want you to run from your front door to the gates of my local park, Brockwell Park, which was like literally six minutes up the road. That's what I did. I was surprised that I made it to the gate, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because I was athletic at school. I loved sports, but hadn't been doing much as a, as an adult. And so the next day I did the same thing again and I made it past the gate and ran for like half a, felt like half a mile to the next gate. Before I knew it, the, in, in a couple of days, I made it round the whole park. Couldn't believe it, could not believe it. But what, so what I started to do was I'd run around the park and I would say to myself, okay, when you finish, head up to that. And I looked up at the hill and I thought that tree over there and go stand or sit under that tree as a way of kind of just completing your run. And that's what I started to do. Every day I would end up under sanctuary. And at the time I was, I was going through my training, my interfaith seminary training as an interfaith minister. And we have been taught um, what we call body prayers. These are prayers that you can do with the body to the earth or on the earth. So I just started doing these body prayers under sanctuary. And I found that um, it felt like I was in my own kind of church. Um, I love what Alice Walker said. I understand at an early age that in nature, I felt everything I should feel in a church, but never did. And that's the experience that I had under sanctuary. Mm. Whatever was going on for me internally, 
when I was in the presence of that tree, I felt myself come back to life. I felt rooted, I felt grounded, I felt safe, I felt secure, I felt strong, I felt like my creativity surge. So obviously, you know, when you're getting something like that from a tree, you think, uh, you know, why not spend more time with that tree? And that's what I started to do. And that's why she became my mentor tree, because she didn't have to say much. Yeah. She didn't have to do much but she gave so much and she became sanctuary because I did seek refuge under that tree. I sought refuge under that tree more than I did with human beings because there are some things that we go through sometimes that as much as our family and our friends love us, they sometimes cannot sit with us in those dark places. Yeah, especially when grief, we get told to hurry it along or it's- Hurry it along. That's it. And we're only allowed to grieve for certain things. Yeah. Grief seems to be legitimate if you've had a bereavement, but not for any other losses in life. So if there's a loss of a job, loss of a love, loss of a home, loss of a friendship. You know, it's like, what stupidness are you on about? What stupidness are you feeling? (laughs) But as you said, to be under your tree, sanctuary, gave you to feel all the feels not just put the the negative out there but also to receive that positive energy back into yourself to rejuvenate yourself to come back alive and that for me is a spiritual process and that is something that is possible within nature you kept going back it is addictive and there is that worship going on and as Alice was get church to go and be with nature because that yep. was in her soul yeah in different ways. 